Alright, amen. Well, it's good to be here tonight. We're going to look here tonight at a, at a few things here. You thought we were done in the book of Revelation, but we finished up the series on Sunday. But uh, I'm going to preach on something something else here this evening out of the book of Revelation. And, uh, and just before I get to that here tonight, uh, something else that kind of ties into that. Today, I kind of received in the mail a letter. And uh, this letter was talking about, and I'm not going to call out the... Uh, uh, the people who the letter is from, uh, there wasn't anything, I guess you could say, doctrinally wrong or anything like that in this letter. It's basically, you know, a missionary letter asking for support, that kind of a letter that we get all the time. And, uh, and it was talking about how that, how that in the United States, and I forget the figures they, get, they give, I don't know if their figures are, are right or not, but it was like 40 churches a month or something like that that are closing in the United States. And this particular mission, what they focus on, I guess, is, is music. And what they focus on is trying to get good, godly music out there. And look, I'm all for that. That is great. And I hope God blesses them in that. But uh, one of the things that they said that I just kind of disagree with is that, is that they said that one of the reasons why all these churches are closing is because of music. Now listen, I don't believe that the reason why churches are closing in the United States is because of music. And, and uh, well, why is it that they are closing? Well, churches are closing because there's a lot of false doctrine that's being taught out there, and thereby the people of God are being deceived and have a lack of knowledge. And the Bible says that my people are destroyed for what? For a lack of knowledge. And so what I'm preaching on here tonight is another false doctrine that has been used to kind of deceive the people. And what I'm going to preach on here tonight out of Revelation is the, uh, the lie of the seven church ages. The false doctrine of the seven church ages. Now I know uh, if you've been in church for many years, you've probably heard at some point or another some preacher somewhere that has taught that here in the book of Revelation about these seven churches. Remember, the Bible tells us here that these seven churches, that the book of Revelation is written to the seven churches which are where? which are in Asia, the Bible says. Well, many churches, and not all preachers believe this, but, you know, where I grew up, they believe this and they taught this, and I've seen in many other churches, that they teach that those seven churches not only represent seven local actual churches, but that they represent seven different church ages. And that basically, each one of these churches that you see here in the book of Revelation is a picture of the predominant type of church that would exist during that different age. And of course, the last one would be the Laodicean church. And all the time, how many times have you heard a preacher say, we are in the Laodicean church age? I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard that, I'd be a pretty rich man. I mean, I've heard that many, many times throughout my life, that we're in the Laodicean church age. And so we're going to see here in the scripture that that is just a lie that has been created to prop up other false doctrines. Because what happens when you create a lie? You know, a lie probably starts out pretty small, doesn't it? But in order to prop up that lie, if you don't get it right, if you don't correct it, in order to prop it up and to try to make it stand, because what ends up happening is because it's a lie, it's not the truth, people start poking holes in it, don't they? 
And before long, you have to create other lies in order to back up that lie. And that's exactly what this one is, is that it is created, the seven church ages, it is created to prop up dispensationalism. It is created to prop up Zionism. It is another false doctrine that was just created because of the other lies that are told about the book of Revelation. So let's get into the scripture here tonight. <laughs> we'll look down at Revelation 2.1. And the Bible says there again, we already read some of this, so we're not going to read the entire chapter again. But the Bible says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in thy right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars." and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Notice what he says. Which I also what? hate and so listen there are some things that we ought to hate and listen what is it that's being hated here i mean it is false doctrine that is being hated here and one of the things that we ought to hate within the church is anything that is not the truth false doctrines ought to be something that is hated you say brother joe when are you going to stop preaching on dispensationalism when are you going to stop preaching against zionism when are you going to stop preaching against the pre-trib rapture i'll tell you when i stop preaching against it when there's no longer any preacher on the face of this earth that is preaching that false doctrine is when I'll stop preaching it. And so listen, I'm not going to back down from these things. I'm just going to keep pushing the truth and preaching it <coughs> as hard as I can until we see it burn and fall. And let me tell you something, there are preachers out there tonight that have been preaching that false doctrine for many, many years, and they are in disarray. I mean, they are running scared. They don't know what to do because they have been challenged by the Word of God. And it's amazing, these preachers, I was watching one here this last week, I was watching this preacher, he gets up and pretty much said, if you don't believe the pre-tribulation rapture, then you're stupid. Now listen, he used one verse out of the Bible as his context verse, the rest of the message, he did not even quote one verse. Now listen, whether you agree with me or disagree with me on things out of the Bible, at least I use scripture, don't I? At least I'll take you to the Word of God and show you what the Bible says about it. But this preacher didn't use Scripture. He proceeded to go to other things. In fact, he proceeded to go to the Apocrypha and use the Apocrypha as, as evidence for why we ought to believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Now listen, the, uh, the Apocrypha also teaches that you ought to use magical incantations. I mean, should we, use, should we use the Apocrypha as something that is a reason why we ought to believe those things? I mean, the Apocrypha is not Scripture, is it? The Apocrypha is not the Word of God, and it teaches things like that that are false. And he went on to, to go to the Greek, to try to use the Greek, and he went everywhere but the Word of God. And so we want to go to the Word of God tonight. In fact, before we do that, let me read you something. Because where does this seven different church ages, where does this go back to? 
I mean, where are these men getting this from? I mean, because I guarantee you, when we read Revelation chapter number 2, and you could read chapter number 3 if you wanted tonight, did it say anything about different church ages? So did they get that from the Word of God? You see, that's the question that you have to ask. We just read the entire chapter. It never once mentioned a different church age, did it? Did it ever once mention that the church age would end? You can go into chapter number 4, and it never says that the church age will end. It never says that in the Bible. So where is it that they are getting these doctrines from? Are they getting it from the Bible, or are they getting it from a man? You see, that's the question. Well, let me tell you where they're getting it from. Anybody want to take a guess? I mean, I'll give you three guesses, but you probably only need one. Anybody want to take a guess at where they're getting this doctrine from? C.I. Schofield. There you go. You got it. Y'all have been listening. Y'all are doing good. So let me just read to you C.I. Schofield. This comes directly out of his notes. Okay, I just took a whole section of his notes on Revelation chapter number 2, and I copied and pasted it. I've got his exact notes right here. This is what he says, C.I. Schofield, in his reference Bible. Prophetic as disclosing seven phases of spiritual history of the church from, say, A.D. 96 to the end. It is incredible that in prophecy covering the church period, there should be no such foreview. These messages must contain that foreview. If it is in the book at all, for the church does not appear after Revelation chapter 3, verse 22. Now let's just stop right there. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that all throughout my life, that at the end of Revelation chapter number 3, and go ahead and look at it, Revelation 3 verse number 22, go ahead and look right over there at it and see what the Bible says there. And the Bible says this, <coughs> Revelation 3 verse number 22, last verse of chapter number 3, and it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so they say the church from this point on throughout the book of Revelation never appears again. You never see the word of church of, of church or churches used anywhere else in the book of Revelation. Now is that the truth or is that a lie? You see, that is a flat-out lie. Take your Bibles and let's go to Revelation chapter number 22. And we covered this a little bit on Sunday morning. Revelation chapter number 22, look down at verse number 16. And so in Revelation chapter number 22, verse number 16, this is the last chapter of the book of Revelation, isn't it? Last chapter of the Bible. And notice what the Bible says there. Revelation chapter number 22, verse number 16. And the Bible says right there, I have sent mine angel to what? To testify unto you these things in where? In the churches. Do you see that word there? So listen, they just flat out lie and say the word church is never used anywhere else in the book of Revelation, but it's in the very end. I mean, after God, through, God goes through all these things that we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, I'm not going to preach them all again here tonight because we just spent a, a long time covering all that, but after we get through the entire book of Revelation and God has revealed to us the mystery of the book of Revelation and he's shown us all these things, and at the very end, who does he say that it was written to? He shows us that it was written to the churches. He emphasizes it at the beginning, and he emphasizes it at the end, that the book of Revelation was written to the churches, and churches is mentioned in the very last chapter of Revelation. So they just flat out 
lie. Now let me just read the, re the rest of his quote there. He says this, again, these messages, uh, by their very terms, go beyond local assemblies mentioned. Most con conclusively of all, these messages do present an exact foreview of spiritual history of the church. So he's saying they, they're exactly the foreview of the church history. That you could look at each one of these churches and in their different age that the predominant church in that age would be exactly like that church. So the very, uh, the very beginning of the church would be just like what church? The church at Ephesus. Now here's the problem with that. That you can look at every single supposed church age throughout history and you know what? You'd find churches that matched every one of those churches, wouldn't you? You'd find churches that uh, that had tried those which were not, uh, which said they were apostles and were not, and had found them liars. And you'd find churches that were lukewarm and cold, and you'd find churches that were on fire for God and seeing people saved. And this church age nonsense is exactly that—a bunch of nonsense. He goes on to say this. He says, "And in this precise order." So what he says is the exact order that they are given throughout the book of Revelation is the exact order that the church ages would come. Now listen, that goes against what most pre-tribbers believe about the book of Revelation, doesn't it? Because aren't they the ones that say that the book of Revelation is not in chronological order? But then if, if the book's not in chronological order, then why would the church history there be in chronological order? If they go on to say this, and by the way, I'll show you some problems with that later on near the end of the message, why that cannot be true. Look at what, he, at what else he says. <coughs> Ephesus gives the general state at the date of the writing, Smyrna, the period of the great persecutions, Pergamos, the church settled down in the world where Satan's throne is, after the conversion of, notice this, of Constantine, say A.D. 316. Now, who did he just include in church age? Who did he just say was a part of the church? Who's Constantine? Who's Emperor Constantine? Anybody have an idea? He was a Roman emperor who did what? Who brought in... Uh, and mixed Christianity with paganism, and out of that was born Roman Catholicism. So he is bringing Roman Catholicism into this and saying that Roman Catholicism, at least at one point in time, was a true church. Now, is that the truth? Listen, the Catholics have never believed the truth. They've never had salvation right. They've always been wrong on doctrine. He goes on to say this. He says, uh, let's see, where did I leave off? Thyatira is the papacy. Did you hear what he just said? Papacy, what's the papacy? I mean, some of you who are ex-Catholics, what is that? The Pope, right? I mean, that's the Pope. He said that Thyatira is the papacy. So what is he saying? That, <laughs> that the church at Thyatira represents the papacy. That, that they were at one time, even though they might have been a messed up church, they were, they were, they were still part of the church. I mean, this is just the lies that they tell. You see, this is where Baptists are getting it from. Now, forgive me, but if we go to every independent Baptist church in the land tonight, I mean, independent Baptists, and we go ask them, did we come out of the papacy? Did we come out of the Roman Catholic Church? You know what they'll tell you? 
They'll tell you no. And that's the truth, isn't it? Because we never came out of the Roman Catholic Church because we're not Protestant. You see, the Protestants protested the Catholic Church. Baptists were never a part of it. Baptists have not only not protested it, we've always preached against it. You can go back throughout history, and we were never a part of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has never been a real church. But what is C.I. Schofield saying? What is, he in, what is he referring to here? That the papacy, that, that they were part of the church. Look at what else he says. Now, that, that one right there, we could just preach a whole message on that one alone, couldn't we? Look at what else he says. Developed, Thyatiracy is the papacy, developed out of the Pergamos state. Baalism, worldliness, and Nicolaitan, Nicolaitanism, priestly assumption, having, having conquered... As Jezebel brought idolatry into Israel, so Romanism weds Christian doctrine to pagan ceremonies. Sardis is the Protestant Reformation. Did you hear what he just said? Sardis is what? The Protestant Reformation. By the way, why is he saying this? Why is he saying that these churches are the history of the Roman Catholic Church and of the Protestants? Why is he saying that? Because C.I. Schofield was never a Baptist. But yet his Bible and his writings are in all kinds of Baptist churches today and being used. And he's looked at as some hero of the faith somehow. But he was never even a Baptist. You know why he puts that there? Because he really does go back to them. Because he really does go back to Baal. Because he really does go back to the Pope. Because he really does go back to the Protestants. But yet we're using his stuff in our Baptist churches. Look at what else he says. <coughs> he says this. Sardis is the Protestant Reformation. Those works were not fulfilled. Philadelphia's whatever bears clear testimony to the word and the name in the time self-satisfied uh, profession represented by Laodicea. Now, did you notice he just kind of went and kind of gleaned right over the right over Philadelphia and right into Laodicea? Doesn't spend a whole lot of time on that, and I'll show you why later in the sermon. But let's take our Bibles, go back to Revelation chapter number one, look at verse number four, and let's just uh, get some basis here tonight. Revelation chapter number one, verse number four, because we just saw in Revelation chapter number twenty-two. That the Bible makes it clear there in chapter 22 and verse number 16 uh, that Jesus had sent his angel to testify of these things where? In where? In the churches. So that is everything that is contained in the book of Revelation. Everybody agree? That everything throughout this book that, that he just said, I sent my angel to testify of these things where? In the churches. So these things were for whom? The churches. Written to whom? The churches. Now look at what the Bible says. Revelation chapter number 1, verse number 4. The Bible says there, verse number 4. Blessed is, uh, verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So who's the book of Revelation written to? Churches. Look down at verse number 11. Saying, <coughs> I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, 
<coughs> and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So who is the book of Revelation written to? We have the testimony here in the beginning, and at the very end, that, that God just kind of starts it off, and he caps it off with it, that, hey, this book is to whom? The churches. Now let's just use a little bit of the pre-tribbers logic, shall we? Because the pre-tribbers will say that Matthew chapter number 24 is written to the Jews, which it's not, is it? Because the Bible makes it clear, Jesus Christ said in Mark 13, parallel passage, what I say unto you, I say unto all. But let's just assume for a minute that they are right, okay? Let's just assume for a minute <coughs> that it was only written to the Jews, and therefore it only applies to the Jews that it's not for us today. Well, if we're using their logic, and Matthew 24 was written to the Jews, and therefore only applies to the Jews, well, then shouldn't we apply that logic to Revelation? But they don't want to do that, do they? Because here in Revelation, who's Revelation written to? It's written to the churches. So if we're using their logic of who it's written to, that's the only group that we apply it to, well, then Revelation would only be applied to whom? The churches, right? According to their logic. But you see, that doesn't work for them. You see, they're hypocrites. <laughs> you see, they make up their own rules. They want to apply that rule back in Matthew chapter number 24. And by the way, it's a lie. Again, it's not the truth. But they want to apply it there. But then you get to the book of Revelation. They don't want to apply it here, do they? I mean, the book of Revelation is written to whom? I mean, the Bible spells it out, doesn't it? I mean, it says it where it can leave no doubt in the very beginning. This is written to the churches. In the very end, I have sent my angel to testify of these things where? In the churches, the Bible says. So according to their own logic, Revelation, the entire book, would only be to whom? To the churches then. Then it's not about the Jews then, according to them, wouldn't it? But you see, they're, they're hypocrites, and they don't want to use that here in the book of Revelation because they have to replace the church, and they have to take the church out, and they have to insert the Jews. You see, that's what they do. They have to make the entire book of Revelation about the Jews, and that's why they've created the seven church ages. You see, they created the seven church ages so that they can say that the church at some point will come to an end. That there is an end of the church age, and when the church age ends, then God is going to go back with dealing with the Jews. That's why they created this false doctrine. Look back at Scripture. Let me show you some more Scripture. <coughs> go to Ephesians chapter number 3, and look at verse number 21. <coughs> so again, as I told you, the seven church ages was created as a, as a means in order to push the Zionist agenda... And that it was created in order to say that the rest of the books is only about the Jews. That the rest of the book of Revelation, and therefore, they have to bring the church to an end, don't they? They have to say at some point it ends. That's why they lie and say in Revelation 3, verse 22, that that's the last time that the word church is used in the book of Revelation. They have to make it end right there. And they'll say after that point, the church is never mentioned again. Now look at what the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter number 3 and verse number 21. Let's just see if this holds up. I mean, is there an end to the church age? Let's just see if that holds up with Scripture, shall we? Look at what the Bible says here. Ephesians chapter number 3, verse number 21. 
In fact, look back at verse number 20. Let's just start there. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Who's the us? This is the book of Ephesians, right? The church, right? And the church of Ephesus, right? That's one of the churches that the book of Revelation is written to. Look at what the Bible says there, verse 21. Unto him be glory in the what? In the church by Christ Jesus throughout what? All ages. Now what's the rest of it say? World without end. One verse right there just destroyed the seven church ages, right? Because they're going to say that the church age ends at Revelation chapter number 3, verse 22, and then it picks up with the Jews. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, world without end, that there is no end of the church age. Now you see, uh, God is now using the church and will always use the church. And that when we get to heaven, guess who we're going to be congregated with? We're going to be the church there in heaven. You see, right now we're not a universal body, are we? We don't believe in the universal church. We believe in the local church. Well, at one point, we're going to be congregated with them in heaven and congregated with them here on earth and congregated with them in the new Jerusalem. And that is the church. And the Bible says, world without end. Now, can it be any more clear? That the Bible makes it clear that the church does not come to an end. Now let's just look at some more scripture. Go to Revelation chapter number 4. <coughs> Go back over there, Revelation chapter number 4. Because remember, they say that the, uh, that the church ends at Revelation 3 verse 22. That it's never mentioned again. And so because that's where it ends, then they have to fit the rapture in somewhere, don't they? They have to fit it in pretty close, don't they? I mean, if they're going to say that the, that the church ends there at Revelation 3, verse 22, then they have to put the rapture somewhere. You see, they have a problem, don't they? Because you can't fit the rapture in somewhere. But they go to Revelation 4, verse number 1, and they say, oh, this is the rapture. Let's see if that holds up with Scripture. Look at what the Bible says, Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1. And the Bible says this, after this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me. Now, what did the Bible just say there? Did he say it was a trumpet talking with him, or a voice, as it were, of a trumpet? When it says, as it were, of a trumpet, what is it saying? Is it saying that the voice was an actual trumpet? That there's a trumpet that's actually talking with John? No, there's a voice that's talking with John. With John. It's just uh, talking about how that it's loud. Just like when I preach, I lift up my voice. I cry aloud. I spare not. I lift up my voice as a trumpet. What does that mean? I'm just getting loud, right? You see, that's what it's talking about. No actual trumpet there. Look at what it says there. First, I heard that was... I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee, show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that, was, that sat was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in, the, in sight like unto an emerald, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed 
in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold, and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Let's go on down verse number 10. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now that's it. Didn't you see it? Didn't you see the rapture? I mean, didn't you see the multitudes there in heaven? I mean, didn't you see them out of every tongue and nation and tribe and kindred and people there in heaven? I mean, didn't you see all of them being gathered together and taken up to heaven? No, what did we just see? We saw one man, but he's supposed to be a picture of the multitudes. We saw one man who's taken up, not in body, but in what? In spirit. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. When we are taken up, are we just going up in spirit? Are we not going up in body? That our body, if you're in the grave, is going to be resurrected. And if you re remain unto the coming of the Lord, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be what? Changed. Because it's a bodily resurrection. So let's just see if this lines up. I mean, this is the rapture according to them, right? And so we have... We don't have a trumpet there, do we? We have a voice as of a trumpet that's just crying aloud. We have one man taken up in the spirit, and he's supposed to represent the multitudes out of every nation and kingdom and tribe and tongue and kindred and people. And then what else do we have there according, according to them? That they also say this, that the 24 elders represent the multitudes. Now, where are they getting that from? Is that, does the Bible say that? Did it say that in the context of the Scripture anywhere? No, that's not in the Scripture. So they are making it up, aren't they? You don't find that in the Word of God. You never find that in the Word of God. But you see, in order for their doctrine to work, this is where they have to insert the rapture. Because if they insert it anywhere else... It would destroy the pre-trib rapture. It would destroy their false doctrine. So they have to insert it here because remember, they have to make the church end. They have to bring the church to an end. Now let's just see where the rapture does take place in the Bible, shall we? In the book of Revelation. Go to chapter number 7 and look at verse number 9. Chapter number 7 and verse number 9. And let's just compare the two together, shall we? I mean, we just looked at Revelation chapter number 4. And honestly, if you, uh, anybody raise your hand here tonight, and I won't make fun of you. If you think that Revelation chapter number 4 is the rapture, just raise your hand. Anybody think that? It's not there, is it? It's not in the Word of God. Well, let's just compare Revelation 4 with Revelation chapter number 7, and let's see which one is more likely to be the rapture. Let's see which one lines up better. Revelation chapter number 7, look down at verse number 9. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude. So what do we see there? First of all, a what? Great multitude. Now, doesn't that line up with the rapture? 
that Christ is coming with ten thousands of his saints, that there's going to be a great multitude. It says a great multitude, which no man can number, and not just a great number, and not just a great multitude, but look what the Bible says. Of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now stop right there. So we see a great multitude, don't we? That lines up with the rapture. And they're also taken out of every nation and tribe and people and tongue. And, and they're taken from people all over the face of the earth. Does that not uh, go, with the, go with the rapture? Absolutely. Not only that, what is it that they are talking about? What is it that they are crying aloud about? About what? About salvation. Now why are they talking about salvation? Maybe because they were just saved from this earth. Maybe because they were just resurrected. Maybe because their bodies were just brought up out of their graves. Doesn't that go with the rapture? Absolutely. Look at what else the Bible says here. The Bible says this, verse number 11. Y'all have to forgive me. This is too much fun to look at this tonight. Look at what the Bible says here, verse number 11. And all the angels stood round about uh, the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worship God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? So what's he asking? Who are they, and where did they come from? Now, why is he asking that question? Because a moment ago they weren't there. And all of a sudden, they're there. Now, doesn't that line up with the Scripture? Doesn't that line up with the rapture? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye? I mean, at one moment, we're here on this earth. If you make it to the rapture, the next moment, you're in the clouds with, with Jesus, and then there in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ that we're taken up in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Doesn't that line up with, with the rapture? Absolutely. Look at what else the Bible says there. And the Bible says this. In verse number 14, look at the answer. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of what? Great tribulation. Now, doesn't that line up with Scripture? I mean, when we read Matthew chapter number 24, and what does it say? Immediately after the tribulation, what takes place? The sun is darkened, the moon is turned to blood, and then shall you see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds. I mean, the elect being gathered together, the angels gathering them together, the, voice, the, the trumpet that's sounding. I mean, everything is there in Matthew 24 about the rapture, and it says immediately after the tribulation. And here, what do we see? That these are they which came out of what? came out of great tribulation. Look at what it says. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living waters living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now doesn't all this that we just read, if we were to look at Revelation 4 and Revelation 7, you tell me, which one is a better comparison with the rapture? 
And it is hands down Revelation chapter number 7. I mean, Revelation chapter number 4 can't hold a candlestick to it. I mean, Revelation chapter number 4, there is nothing there that lines up with the rapture. But if we look at Revelation chapter number 7, lines up perfectly. So where is the rapture in the book of Revelation? It's in chapter number 7. Now let's take our Bibles, go back to Isaiah chapter number 49. Because the Bible there in Revelation chapter number 7, it kind of quoted some things that are out of the Old Testament. Some prophecies that we find in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 49, verse number 8. We'll not take time to read the entire chapter, but we'll look at some of it back there. Isaiah chapter number 49 and verse number 8. Isaiah chapter number 49, verse number 8. Look what the Word of God has to say there. Isaiah chapter number 49 and verse number 8. And if I get my fingers working, I'll join you right there. The Bible says this, Isaiah 49, verse number 8. The Bible says, <coughs> Thus saith the Lord, And in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of what? Salvation. Salvation. Now, didn't we just see in Revelation that they were crying aloud about what subject? About salvation, right? Now, what's the context here about? Salvation. Look at what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in, the, in a day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages, that thou mayest say to the prisoners, Go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be in, be in all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat uh, nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. By the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains a way, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, notice this. These shall come from where? From far. And lo, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Now what is it saying there? Doesn't that kind of go along with Revelation chapter number 7? That the, we see there in Revelation chapter number 7 that there are people there from where? Couldn't you say they've come from far? And couldn't you say that they've come from the east and they've come from the west? That the Bible tells us uh, that there are people there from all tongues, all nations, all kindreds, all people, a great multitude of people. And where have they come from? They've come from afar. They've come from east. They've come from west. Hey, Jesus Christ himself told the Jews that there shall be some that, that sit down with me in the kingdom and that sit down with Isaac and Jacob and Abraham in the kingdom that shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and the south. But you yourselves shall be thrust out, he said. What did he say to the Jews? Hey, there's going to be people that aren't Jews that are going to be in the kingdom. But you yourselves that consider yourselves to be Jews, that consider yourselves to be better than everybody else, that are trusting in your own flesh, you're going to be cast out. You're going to be thrust out from the kingdom. Look back at what the Bible says here. Let's just read a little bit more of the scripture. Verse number 13. Sing, O heavens. Hey, doesn't that line up with Revelation 7? Doesn't that line up with what we see in the book of Revelation when it talks about the saints that are in heaven and what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing uh, songs. One of the uh, first songs the Bible tells us that they sing is what song? The song of Moses. Look at what the Bible says here. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth in the singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath done what? 
have comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. So what are we seeing there? That the people of God are being afflicted and God is going to have mercy on them and comfort them. Now listen, anybody remember a famous scripture that talks about comfort one another with these words? Well, what scripture is that? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and what's it all about? It's all about the rapture. It's about the coming of our Lord. Those of you that remain unto the coming of the Lord, the Bible says, and it says comfort one another with what? With these words. Because we're going to be taken up in the rapture. Don't you think that those are some words that we're going to hold on to during the time of affliction? They're in the time of tribulation. Don't you see why we're going to be rejoicing there in heaven when we get taken to heaven? I mean, can you imagine that one moment you're going through the tribulation, you're going through the persecution, and the next moment you're in heaven with Christ? Don't you think there's going to be some rejoicing going on? Don't you think there's going to be some comfort going on at that time? Absolutely. Look where the Bible says here, verse 14. But Zion said... The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste. Thy destroyers in... They that made thee way shall go forth of thee. Lift up thine eyes round about. Hey, doesn't that sound similar to something we see in the New Testament? about the rapture that when you see these things come to pass what does it say lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh you see how that we see all these things that are just kind of lining up as as pictures of the rapture and isn't it amazing that in revelation chapter number seven where we see the rapture that it quotes some of these same scriptures you see what we're seeing in the word of god so according to the bible where does the rapture take place Revelation chapter number 7. But again, they have to make the church end, don't they? So again, they'll say, well, after chapter number 3, the church is never mentioned. Now let's just, let's just take Revelation 22 out of it for a moment. And, and let's just give it to him for a second. That they say that the church is never mentioned again throughout the book of Revelation. Well, is that true? I mean, is the church never mentioned? Even if we didn't have Revelation chapter number 22, is the church never mentioned? Well, let's just look in the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter number 13 and look at verse number 7. Revelation chapter number 13 and verse number 7. See what the Bible has to say there. Y'all got to listen up quick or we're running out of time already. Revelation chapter number 13, verse number 7. And look at what the Word of God has to say there. Revelation 13, verse number 7. The Bible says this. Revelation 13, 7. And it says there, and it was given unto him to make war with whom? The saints. The saints. But you see, a pre-tribber would tell you that's the Jews. You see, that's the nation of Israel. That Satan is going to make war with the nation of Israel. Now listen, this is why they have to invent another lie. Because look at what else the Bible says here. Let's just read it. Revelation 13, verse number 7. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life from the, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now go back to the last verse of chapter number 12 right there. Because we see there in Revelation 13 <coughs> that he's going to make war with the saints, right? 
And they'll say, well, that's just the Jews. Well, look at verse number 17 of Revelation 12. And it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. What remnant? We just saw in 13, it's the saints. Well, what remnant is that? Look at what it says. Which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of who? Of Jesus Christ. Now, who is it that has the testimony of Jesus Christ? It's the church, right? The church has the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who is the testimony of Jesus Christ written to? I mean, we have the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I have sent mine angel to do what? To give a testimony, my testimony, unto the churches. And so who is it that has the testimony? Is it the Jews or is it the churches? It's the churches. So who is he making war with? I mean, if we see this throughout the book of Revelation, then in the very beginning he says, hey, this is my testimony. I've sent my angel to bear witness of my testimony, and I'm giving it to the churches and write it to the churches. And then he emphasizes it in the last book in Revelation chapter number 22. So then when we read Revelation chapter number 12, verse number 17, should we just assume that, oh, that's not the church. Hold up, wait, it's not the church, it's the Jews. Should we assume that? No, absolutely not. Who is the one that has the testimony of, of Jesus Christ? And it's the church. It's those who are saved is who it is. And all throughout the Bible, this term saint never just applies to explicitly the Jews. Never does it apply to the nation of Israel. It is always in reference to those who are saved. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 33 and look at verse number 2. Because the principle that you need to understand in the Bible is that if you're going to understand a word in the Bible, what is the first thing that you should do? Go to the first place it's mentioned, called call the law of first mention. I, hey, I was taught this, you know, growing up in, in my church and taught this in Bible college. Hey, it's one of the good things they taught, right? That, that's a good rule. I, hey, finally I can say something good about Bible college, right? Yeah, they actually taught me this rule. Look at what the Bible says there, Deuteronomy chapter number 33. <coughs> and look at what the Bible says in verse number 2. First time the word saints is used in the Bible. Notice what it says. And he said... The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with what? Ten thousands of saints from his right hand with a fiery law for them. Now what did the Bible just say there? And look at verse number three. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet. Everyone shall receive of thy words. So who are the people of God? Who are the saints? They are those who, are, who have received of the words of God, right? Well, doesn't the Bible tell us in John chapter number one, verse number 12, and as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe, the Bible says. And not only that, but I believe this here is kind of prophetic. Because it's speaking about the Lord, and the Lord came from Sinai, and he's coming with, 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 with what, the Bible says? With ten thousands of his saints, the Bible says. Now that is prophetic of something in the scripture. Let's go ahead and look at it. Go to Jude chapter number 1, look at verse number 14. Jude chapter number 1, verse number 14. See what the Bible has to say there right before the book of Revelation. Jude chapter number 1, verse number 14. The Bible says this. Jude chapter number 1, verse number 14. And the Bible says, in fact, look back at verse number 14. 
Jude chapter number 1, that's why I told you. Verse 14, the Bible says this, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, hey, that's a long time before the Jews came on the scene, isn't it? I mean, that's a real long time before they come, came on the scene. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with what? Ten thousandth of his saints to do what? To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their, un their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So when it talks about the 10,000 saints that are coming with them, isn't it significant that in both places it's talking about the law, isn't it? I mean, it's talking about in Deuteronomy there that the saints, and it's talking about the law, that they are going to receive the law. They're receiving the words of God. And here in Jude chapter number 1, it's Christ who's coming with ten thousands of his saints. Now, who's he coming with? Just the Jews? <coughs> Just the nation of Israel? Or is he coming with everyone who's saved? He's coming with everyone who is saved. A multitude that's without number. And it's no coincidence that the Bible tells us back there in Revelation chapter number 2. We read it at the very end there, I believe it was. Revelation chapter number 2, back in that chapter, where it talks about those who obey uh, the commandments of God that overcome, that he will give unto them to do what? Look at verse number 26 of Revelation 2. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with what? A rod of iron, as vessels of a potter, shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. So what do we see there? That we are going to rule and reign with Christ. That those that keep the works of God, that they're going to rule with Him, the Bible says, to those that overcome. Now, who are the overcomers? Are they just Jews, or are they the saints? They're the saints. What is the definition of an overcomer? First John chapter number 5. What is the definition? Even this is our victory, even our what? Even our faith. Who is he that overcometh? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, the overcomer are those who have believed the words. And they're the ones who have the commandments of God. They're the ones that keep the testimony of God. So when we read about the saints in the book of Revelation, then who are the saints? Are they just the Jews, the nation of Israel? No, you don't see that in there. But you know what? That's why they have to make up another lie. Surprise, surprise. You see, because it says there that it's through the testimony of the saints, then they have to make up another lie. And what is that? What is that lie? That magically, when all this takes place, all Israel is going to be saved. That God's just going to force every single Israeli to be saved, to have salvation. Just magically, they're going to see this, and they're just all going to be saved. They have to make up that lie. You see how one lie leads to another lie, and it just takes you further and further down the rabbit hole. Now, let's look back at the Scripture. i got to skip some of this because I'm running out of time tonight. Go back to Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 14. I think I've already demonstrated to you who the saints are. And I could go through a lot more scriptures and show you who they are. I mean, <laughs> go to Revelation chapter number 3. Go ahead and go there. I guess while you go there, let me just read to you a couple scriptures just to give you a few more. The Bible says in Romans chapter number uh, 1, verse number 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Hey, is that to just to the Jews or to all? 
to all, the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, verse number 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Well, then who's the saints there? That makes it clear there, doesn't it? It's the churches. Hey, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia. Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Hey, who did he just call the saints? The church at Ephesus. Isn't the book of Revelation written to the church at Ephesus? And the Bible calls them the saints. So when we read about the saints in the book of Revelation, well then, who are the saints? The churches. Look at, look at what else the Bible says. Let me just quote another verse. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 19. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Philippians 1.1. 1, 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi. Now what it just gave us the definition for a saint, didn't it? All the saints who are what? In Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're a saint. Now look back at Revelation chapter number 3. I've got one last point that I need to cover here tonight. Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 14. Y'all better hold on because i got to take off and land on this one pretty quickly. Look at what the Bible says there. Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 14. And the Bible says right there, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Right, these things saith the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now stop reading there. Now how many times have we heard somebody say, this is the Laodicean church age. And we are today in the Laodicean church age. This is the age that we're in. And when this church age comes to an end, what's going to take place according to them? The rapture, right? That at the end of the church age, then the rapture takes place. Now there is a problem with that. Because remember, what did Schofield say? That all of these things, all of these churches, are representative of seven different church ages, and in that exact and precise order, did he not? Well, look back, shall we, at Revelation chapter number 3, and look back at verse number 10. And the Bible says this in verse number 10. <coughs> in fact, uh, yeah, Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 10, this is to a different church. This is to the church at Philadelphia. And he says this, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will... I, will, I also will keep thee from the what? Our temptation. Now, you know how many times I've heard preachers say that that's the, the tribulation? Uh, and he's saying there, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world <coughs> to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Now, isn't that a reference to his coming to the rapture? Behold, I come quickly. And what church is it being spoken to? Get this. The church at where? Philadelphia, which comes before the Philadelphian age come, would come before the Laodicean age. But the rapture is supposed to come after the Laodicean age, but somehow magically, it's right there before it. 
Do you see why there are seven church ages don't work? You see why it doesn't line up with Scripture? Because sure, you can use that to say that's a picture of the rapture that's coming, but if you sit there and say that these are seven church ages and they happen in this exact, precise order, and you say that the rapture comes after the Laodicean age, but then, hey, this right here is the rapture too, but it comes before the Laodicean age. See how it doesn't work? You see why we don't believe in these church ages, so to speak? Because it just does not jive with Scripture. And they, but they'll just, they'll just uh, ignore that and wash it away just like they do everything else because after all, great men of God could not have been wrong. Now listen, is that the truth? Great men of God, they can be wrong, can't they? I mean, listen, there were some great men of God in this book, weren't there? And they were wrong on some things, weren't they? I mean, hey, Moses made some mistakes, didn't he? Great man of God made some mistakes. David, great man of God, made some mistakes, was wrong on some things, wasn't he? Hey, there were great men of God that from time to time had to be corrected. But you know what? When they were corrected, like David, when he was corrected, he was humble enough to recognize that he was wrong. That when the prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man, he was humble enough to recognize he was the man. He was humble, uh, humble enough to recognize that he was wrong on some things. And listen, it doesn't matter if your favorite preacher that came before you believed in the seven church ages and believed in, in the, uh, and believed in the pre-tribulation rapture. That makes no bearing on this. Because what saith the scripture? I mean, the Bible's our fine authority here, isn't it? I mean, this is where we get our doctrine from. And I'm sorry, we don't get it from Jack House. We don't get it from Lee Robertson. We don't get it from D.L. Moody. We don't get it from Charles Spurgeon. We sure don't get it from C.I. Schofield. We sure don't get it from Larkin. We sure don't get it from Westcott and Hort. We don't get it from those men. But where do these churches get it? You see, they claim to be King James only. But when you compare their doctrine to the Bible and you show what the Bible says and you show what they say, they don't line up. You see, they're not getting it from the Word of God, but yet they'll claim to be King James only. How can you be King James only if you're not getting your doctrine from the Word of God? You see, if we're going to be true Bible believers and true King James only and true independent Baptists, you know what that means? That we're independent Baptists. That we don't get it from anywhere else. That we just believe the Word of God. There are no seven church ages. The Bible says, To the church, world without and let's end in a word of prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've shown us in your word tonight. I ask that you'd help us to take these things, to apply them to our lives, to search them out, Father. Lord, we thank you for the light of the truth of your word, that it would shine a light on these things, that it would expose the lies. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. We're dismissed.